I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. It's part two of the New Year, New You Body Show. Last week we spoke to preventative cardiologist Dr. Roger White about what sorts of things you can do to keep your heart healthy. Today we're going to talk with Dr. Cedric Lorenzo. He is the director of the Comprehensive Weight Management Program at Queens. And he's here in the studio. We're going to explore all the various aspects of weight loss and when surgery should be seriously considered. Now, as always, throughout the show, we're available for phone calls. You can join us at 941-3689, toll-free from our friends in the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Dr. Lorenzo, welcome to The Body Show. Thank you. Now, I want to mention something. Usually in the top of the show, we talk a little bit about news items, about up-and-coming events. And so part of what has inspired us to to have this show on today has been sort of everybody's New Year's resolution. I want to exercise more. I want to eat less. I want to lose weight. I want to stay healthy. And there's a big event coming up that Queens is putting on to educate people about the various aspects of weight loss. So let's talk about that event, and then we'll talk a little more about what you do and how that can help folks. So this is upcoming. This is in a couple of weeks. Yes, this is going to be on Wednesday, January 28th, from 5.30 to 7 p.m. at the Queen's Conference Center. It's New Year, New You, Lose Weight for Life, and it's one of the many um, year-round programs that Queen's has as part of their Speaking of Health um, lecture series. So if you're interested in joining us and listening to myself and other members of the Queen's Comprehensive Weight Management Program talk about uh, weight loss and how we can benefit you, um, you can call 691-7117 to register. And it's free. It's free, absolutely free. So anybody in the public who says, I want to hear a little bit more about this, maybe I don't know much about the surgery, or maybe I do and I want to hear about the other aspects Mm -hmm. of weight loss, this would be a great way to hear about it from your team. Yes, bring everybody and anyone who is interested is welcome. Uh, We'll be talking about not only surgical options, but non-surgical options that are out there right now. And that's kind of, we're going to discover who the members are of your team mm-hmm. as we go throughout the show today. So I'm glad, and we'll, we'll mention that event again for those folks who are interested. Now, part of the most difficult thing, I think, for a lot of people with weight loss is understanding how difficult it can be. We all get older, metabolism mm-hmm. slows down, yep. we don't have as much time to put into exercise and activity, but yet how important that really is to achieving permanent and successful weight loss. Now, you've been running the Queen's uh, Weight Management Program. You've been there since about 2008, so that's yes. seven years mm-hmm. as of this year. Who are the people that you have seen, or what What are the elements of, of the problems that you see that people show up with that have encouraged them to to work on their weight from this comprehensive approach. You know, it's probably not somebody who comes in saying, I feel great, I exercise all the time, I heard about this, uh, you know, I want to lose 10 pounds. That's not really your target audience. Who comes to you guys? What, what sort of medical conditions do these folks have? We see patients who have had obesity for a good portion of their life and have come to understand that because of their obesity, their health has now um, failed, and they're suffering illnesses such as diabetes, obstructive sleep apnea, hypertension, osteoarthritis, and a whole other m- 
slew of um, illnesses that that's interfering with their quality of life. And they're coming to us oftentimes not able to partake in their family functions, not able to run with the kids or with a desire to see their grandkids grow up. And I think they're coming to us because they've tried multiple attempts at weight loss and have not been successful. And either through friends or their physician um, are coming and seeking bariatric surgery as um, one of their final options um, to have permanent weight loss. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about what actually happens during the surgery a little bit later, but part of one of the things that I think a comprehensive weight management program needs to do is kind of address the whole issue with with weight and how this, you know, I've had some some folks who have had bypass surgery mm-hmm. and they were not psychologically ready mm-hmm. for what that meant. And so let's talk a little bit about your team members. If somebody were to say, okay, I've decided I want to take this to another step. Mm-hmm. It's not like next Monday they schedule a surgery. No, there's a whole not. process. Yeah. So, so tell me a little bit about your team, and then let's talk about how these members of the team prepare somebody, and then that's where you get involved when surgery has been decided. But, you know, part of what they're going to discuss is going to be surgical and non-surgical weight loss. Mm-hmm. A lot of that has to do with how people are doing currently. So, tell me about who's on your team, and if somebody were to come to a session and say, "I want to enroll." What are they enrolling with? Who are they, who are they going to be talking with? And, and who's, who's part of this whole process? You're absolutely right. It takes a team um, to approach um, obesity as well as the illnesses associated with it to provide the best cure and the best options. So as a surgeon, I recognize I'm not the expert in everything. And so our team is comprised of people who are experts in their field and can help our patients the best. We have a bariatrician. Our bariatricians are internal medicine physicians who have taken a special interest in obesity and weight loss uh, medicine. They help our patients optimize their health prior to surgery. They, they help us make sure that patients are healthy enough to undergo a major operation. And a key part of their job is helping to take care of patients afterwards, making sure that medications are appropriately discontinued and they act as a bridge between our program and their primary care providers so that they are still in the loop and that as a team they can help optimize the patient's health afterwards. After bariatric surgery, there's still a lot of um, nutrition issues, and if patients aren't taking certain vitamins and nutritional supplements appropriately, they can get sick. And so our bariatricians are making sure that these vitamins, supplements, minerals, and whatnot are in um, proper order and that their lab work reflects that. We also have a dietitian. Our dietitians are very important in making sure that patients understand what to eat, how to eat, and when to eat, and educate our patients on tips and tricks to making sure that they understand how to do this. For example, making sure that they eat proper portions, making sure that they eat um, every so many hours, making sure that they get the right amount of water. Um, They work with our patients, again, before surgery to teach them Uh, what it takes to eat a healthy diet, but afterwards help coach them, you know, because no one's going to be perfect the first time or the 10th time. And our dietitians help coach them through some of their struggles after surgery. We also have a psychologist, and our psychologists are very key uh, members of our team. And it's not because, you know, patients are, you know, quote-unquote crazy. It's because they want to make sure that patients have the emotional stability 
they have the proper support network and that they have the proper environment for which to have healthy weight loss. And so our psychologists, just like our dietitians, act as pretty much coaches before and afterwards. After you lose weight so rapidly, there's going to be a lot of great changes that happen, some good, some bad, and our psychologists are there to sort of help provide that safety net in case those changes are sometimes a little rattling. Well, sure. Often you hear about people who, you know, they may change their physique dramatically Mm -hmm. and they have a spouse or a significant other who has not. And that causes some stress within that relationship. But also it could just be things you never expected. Yes. You know, that you never thought would happen. And now you have to deal with this whole other element on top of that. Now, before somebody has surgery, if surgery is where they head, they need to have some level of physical activity. Yes. Because part of the idea is that, you know, the key to weight loss is keeping the calories down mm-hmm. and keeping the burning of the calories up. I mean, yes. it's 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 not as simple as a math equation, mm-hmm. but it really does get down to some basics. So you need to be able to burn off calories, mm-hmm. and that's with exercise. Yes. Now, prior to, exor- prior to doing any type of procedure, how much exercise does somebody need to do? Before surgery, we ask our patients to walk at least 5,000 steps a day. That may seem like a lot, but in reality, it's about 2.5 miles. Um, And that's steps that we ask them to get in from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to bed. And it asks our patients to be very mindful of how active they are. Um, Someone being sedentary is defined as someone walking less than 5,000 steps a day. And so in our own lives, if we just got up um, to hand over a piece of paper to the next office versus having the courier doer do it or taking the stairs or walking or parking a little bit farther so we can get more steps in a day. Those are the things that we ask our patients to be very mindful of. After surgery, we ask them to walk at least 10,000 steps a day. So that's about uh, the equivalent of five miles. And if patients aren't able to walk because of knee pain, for example, we ask them to do the equivalent, either through aqua therapy, um, with a hand bike, um, hula, zumba, whatever have you. We just ask our patients to, to just move. Because like you said, you have to move to burn calories. So do you ever have people who, I mean, I guess I wonder what the average number of steps are for somebody who you've declared as sedentary, so less than 5,000. Mm-hmm. So have you ever checked it out? And have you ever like tried to see how many steps you take without doing anything particular at a gym? You're absolutely right. I mean, m- myself, if I was to take a look at how much, how many steps I, wa- I walk in a day, it's probably about 3,000 because as a surgeon, I'm standing most of the time in the OR and then I'm sitting down at the computer writing my notes. And so f- for those of us... Um, working, you know, regular eight-hour day, it's, we don't get to that 5,000, you know, benchmark. And so that's why we often will also ask our patients to then put in some form of exercise. I try to tell patients that the 5,000 steps you do every day is quote-unquote activity. But exercise is something where you spend a concerted amount of time doing something very physical. And you may not necessarily be a runner and love running, then go do something. Go do, you know, martial arts, hula. Sure, biking or swimming something. or something. Yeah. Okay. Now, do you ever have situations where people are able to get to the point where they're doing their 5,000 steps, but they just can't make it to 10? 
I mean, I'm sure that happens, whether it be the time factor or or just the fact that they physically can't do it. Do you have folks who get to 5,000, then they do some sort of procedure, and then they just can't? They we, can't see it happen? We do. We do have people who can't make the 10,000 steps. And oftentimes, it's because of physical limitations. Mm. Oftentimes, after bariatric surgery, their energy surges skywards. And it's amazing. I sometimes wish I had what they had going on in there. But if they can't... If we could get, bottle that energy, I always we would say be that. dangerous. Yeah. Yep. I'd be a trillionaire right now. <laughs> but I always tell patients, if you can't do the 10,000 steps because of you know, physical limitations, then you can do the equivalent. And we have a chart at work where we say if you do this much hula or you do this much um, swimming, this is the equivalent. And certain activities will burn more calories just because of the sheer nature of it. So, for example, walking in the pool, you know, it's not just walking, but you're trying to beat the resistance of the water on you. That does burn more calories than just simply walking outdoors. Are a lot of the folks who come to see you people who have already tried standard weight loss with exercise and diet and just can't make it happen? And if that's the case, why do you think it doesn't work? It's interesting because a lot of our patients have tried nearly every exercise program, every diet, every fad out there. And part of it is that I always tell patients that it's easy to lose weight. We've all done so, you know, for the prom, for a wedding. It's very easy for people to lose about 10% of their total body weight. But the most difficult part is sustaining that. You know, we've done the P90X, those, you know, really extreme forms of exercise and everything. But it's difficult to sustain. It's difficult to always do that every night. And then because you get bored with it. You get bored with diets. You get bored with the shakes. And ultimately, you fall off. And the body then says, you know what? You starved me for this period of time. I'm going to regain back that weight and then some so that we never get back into that starvation phase. And for that reason, people's weight patterns are, tend to be you know, like a staircase or a yo-yo, but the trajectory is upwards. So when you take a look at the success rates of conventional weight loss, whether through exercise, diet, meal replacements, and even medications, whether it be prescription or over-the-counter, it tends to only be a 5% success rate and 95% chance of failing. Long-term. Long-term. And what's the definition of long-term? Long-term is, I think, greater than a year. Okay, so really, if you decide, hey, it's January, I'm going to be really good, you've got about a 5% chance by December of this year to continue to be really good. Yes. It's not zero, but it's certainly not that high. Yes. And so when you look at those sorts of statistics, then you see that not all people who have surgery are successful. There's about 25, 30% failure rate of the surgery. Is that usually, it's not necessarily the surgery went wrong. Is it usually the fact that some of those other lifestyle parameters haven't yet been corrected? You're absolutely right. Um, Surgery is never the cure-all. It's never the magic bullet. It's never foolproof. And I think that's the one thing I always want patients to know entering into bariatric surgery. You can fail bariatric surgery and regain all the weight you've lost and then some. And like you said, it's not because the surgery failed. When you take a look at the connections and the, the size of the new pouch, it's all the same. It's the same that you created afterwards. But it's because people went back to the bad habits. They forgot to eat right and they forgot to exercise. And oftentimes, it's a failure to put themselves first, to put themselves as the first priority, making sure that they 
take that little piece of the day for themselves to exercise, making sure that the the home is stocked, the pantry is stocked with foods that are good for them and not just going with whatever people bring in, you know, to the household. So oftentimes the surgery works, but the maintenance of it is where the the mistakes happen. Well, and we talked a little bit before the show and you said it's really hard for some folks, but you almost have to be selfish. You have to be you selfish. You kind of have to say, I'm going to put myself first, not in a negative way, mm-hmm. not selfish as in I'm not going to share, but rather I'm going to make a priority my health. Yes. And I'm going to do this despite the fact that somebody wants me to go to work early or do some overtime mm-hmm. or watch the kids or or go out to dinner or whatever it is. You kind of have to say, nope, nope, I can't do this. I have to do what I need to do for me first. That, to me, seems like it would probably be one of the hardest hurdles to overcome. It is. For a lot of our patients, um, they've always spent a good part of their life taking care of other people. They're the mothers who, you know, have taken care, who take care of their kids, who put their kids first, their spouses first. They're the, the caregivers, the nurses, the teachers, the people that um, nurture other people. And when it comes down to their own health, they sort of put that last. And ultimately, obesity results, and then they find themselves in the the predicament where their health is failing. And what I try to emphasize to patients is that you have to be selfish. You have to partake in self-care and take care of yourself and your needs. And understand that by taking care of yourself, by putting yourself first and being healthy, you make yourself stronger and more capable to then take care of everybody else. You're not going to be a great caregiver or employee or mother if your health is failing. Well, and it's like that old phrase, you know, if you're on an airline and the oxygen mask comes down, put mm-hmm. yours on first, mm-hmm. then help people around you because if you don't put yours on, you're not going to help your daughter, your son, your loved one, your spouse, whoever it might be, because mm-hmm. you're you're losing oxygen yourself. So, That's right. you know, put on your mask. You have to do that That's because right. if not there could be some problems. So it, there's a lot, I think, that goes into this decision, a lot of psychological factors, a lot of physical factors, a lot of medical factors. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. I'm here in the studio with Dr. Cedric Lorenzo. He's the director of the Comprehensive Weight Management Program at Queens. And when we come back after this quick break, we're going to talk some more about what this surgery actually does. How does this actually result in weight loss? And what are some of these medical changes that occur in your body? You can join our show at any time. You can call us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. If you've had gastric surgery before, what surprised you the most? It would be interesting to hear from folks who have had the procedure, and they might be able to educate the rest of us. So we'll look forward to your call. Stay with us. We'll be right back. When an improvisational jazz performance really clicks, it's often likened to a conversation between the musicians. Guitarist Shoji Ledwood, bassist Alika Lyman, and violinist Dwayne Padilla know how to listen and to make jazz speak. You can eavesdrop on their musical conversation in HPR's Intimate Atherton Studio, Saturday, January 24th at 7.30 p.m. Tickets at hprtickets.org or by calling 955-8821 during business hours. When I get low, I will dress a handsome shepherd in a Santa Claus suit and visit the Catholic hospital and bust in on the morning spiritual counseling. 
This week on Selected Shorts, Love and Dogs, from PRI Public Radio International. Tuesday at 5 p.m., following Travel with Rick Steves. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Straub Clinic and Hospital, Infinity of Honolulu, and Gourmet Events Hawaii. Aloha. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Cedric Lorenzo. He is the director of the Comprehensive Weight Management Program at Queen's Hospital. And today we're talking about surgical weight loss and non-surgical weight loss. What are the success rates? Who is a candidate for surgery? And what are some of the things that people need to commit to before they even head in the surgery direction? So far, we've talked a little bit about some of the psychological implications. But if you or a loved one has ever had surgery, It'd be great to hear what your experience has been and if you've been successful, if if you felt as though this really was the life-transforming event that a lot of folks say that it can be. You can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands 877-941-3689. Now, Dr. Lorenzo, let's talk a little bit about the logistics. Mm -hmm. So let's say somebody's having a surgery. 20 years ago, they used to do this big open procedure big incision in the in the abdominal area, lots of scar, et cetera. And it was sort of something that anybody who had the surgery, you could kind of tell. Mm-hmm. And these days, they've changed it a bit, and they're doing things in a different fashion, laparoscopically. You yes. mentioned robotically. What is the actual procedure like? So the, the procedure is where the patient comes into the room, and they're put under um, general anesthesia. Um, after we get you know the drapes put on and everything, we put in about five to six um, small holes into the abdomen, and through these holes, a little plastic tube called a trocar is inserted. Uh, through these tubes, we can actually then inflate the abdomen with carbon dioxide, and what carbon dioxide does is allow us to create a working environment, and with long instruments and high-definition um, cameras, we are able to access and visualize the internal parts of the human body and basically do the operation. Um, because of what technology um, has afforded us, we're, we're able to divide tissue using um, electrical currents um, as well as use different stapling devices to cut and create seams um, where previously you would have to sew by hand all of this stuff. And so, again, the technology has advanced um, tremendously where we're able to do things um, using what they call minimally invasive um, surgery. And these techniques um, allow patients to recover faster with less pain. And like you said, cosmetically, it's more appealing. And you could have a procedure and go home like the next day. Yes. The procedure um, takes anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour and a half. Uh, patients then within three hours after the operation are moving. You know, we definitely make sure that patients walk after surgery to avoid some of the complications. And our patients go home the next day at 5 p.m. usually. And it's not because they're, you know, they have to stay that long, but we want to make sure they have at least about a day or so to walk, to practice sipping, you know, the fluids, making sure that their pain is well controlled. And the great thing is a lot of our patients go home not taking any pain meds, And for those patients with diabetes, their blood sugars are normal. And again, that's one of the great benefits of having bariatric surgery um, in someone who is diabetic. 
Yeah, actually, there have been a lot of medical studies done within the last year or two that have really defined that the only way to truly reverse diabetes is to do something like gastric surgery. Now, when we talk about surgery, we've talked about this being done under laparoscopic conditions, small little holes, not a big incision. Mm -hmm. What exactly are you doing to the stomach? And how, when we talk about seams and reconnections, in a really basic way, what are we doing to the stomach? Are we cutting some out? Are we leaving it floating? What's happening? (laughs) Good question. So the stomach is about Two liters um, is a is a bag basically, and it like the size of a football. Yeah, American football. Okay. And what we do is using staplers divide the top portion of this football away, um, and we use that as your new pouch or your new stomach. And this pouch is about the size of a ping pong ball. So that's a dramatic difference. It is. I tell people you cannot put a plate lunch into a ping pong ball. You can try, but it won't happen. And that is the one one of the main reasons why bariatric surgery works. There, there is a restrictive component to it. And by making your stomach small like a ping pong ball, it restricts the amount of food you can physically eat. So that's one method. What we then do during a gastric bypass is take your small intestines and we create a bypass. We basically divide the small intestines about a third of the way from where they begin. And we create two channels. One channel only sees food and the other channel only sees digestive juices from your pancreas and your liver. And like we learned in high school, if the food doesn't mix with these digestive juices, there's no breakdown of the nutrients and absorption. It's not until we connect these two channels further down that they finally mix, and then you finally absorb the food that you've just eaten. And this is called the malabsorbative component of the bariatric operation. So by combining a restrictive component, which is, again, your ping-pong-sized stomach, and a malabsorbative component, which, which are the two channels I just talked about, you lose weight. And it's not unheard of for someone to lose about a third of what they weigh coming into the operating room. So again, if you're coming in 300 pounds within about you know, eight months to a year and a half, you'll, you'll lose 100. And that's that type of weight loss then, it, it's pretty quick. It's pretty rapid. Very rapid. There's this window of opportunity from when you have the surgery to when you're going to see the biggest benefit of weight loss. Yes. But that's not lifelong. It's not lifelong. And that's why the, the operation is not to be seen as the cure-all, the end-all, the magic bullet. It's simply a head start. I tell patients it's your opportunity to sort of set the clock back a little bit. And prior to having surgery, you have to decide what would you do with that second chance given the opportunity. So the best weight loss happens within the first six to eight months after the operation. It's rapid. Um, And after that, it begins to flatten out. And by a year, year and a half, it's almost done. You know, you're not going to lose weight. But you're at a point like anyone else. If you decide one day after that that you're going to be a marathon runner and you earnestly train for the marathon, like anyone else, you're going to lose weight. Um, So it's really up to you, but the operation can only take you so far. Most people, after about a year and a half to maybe two years, will then gain back maybe about 5 to 10% of the weight they lost. It's sort of the body resetting itself. But if you take a look at studies that have followed bariatric patients out 20-plus years, that's sort of where it levels off. So you're always going to be at a better place than if you did nothing at all. Um, granted that you still maintain the tenets of weight loss, which are moving and eating right. 
Now, when we talk about that weight loss plateauing, does your stomach ever grow bigger than a ping pong? There is a little bit of a stretch, and part of it is related to how the surgeon created that ping pong size stomach. Now, every surgeon does this procedure a little bit different. At our program, we do make it the size of a ping pong. Some people make it the size of a softball, so it's a little bit larger. The bigger the stomach is when it's first created, the more tissue there is to stretch. And there's the stomach, despite it being one organ, has different thicknesses throughout. And so the bigger you make the pouch, the more apt it is to stretch afterwards. When you make it small like a ping pong, you're using the least stretchy part of the stomach. And so when I take a look at my patients, you know, a year or two or more out, their their pouch tends to stay about that size. Maybe I would say there might be a 25% increase, but beginning from the size of a ping pong ball, 25% is not that much, not that much more. And so there's still that continued restrictive component. There is, yes. So for some of the dietary changes that somebody needs to make initially after surgery, does that persist throughout their life if their stomach is still so limited in size? Over time, the pouch relaxes a little bit. The connection between the pouch and the small intestine that we created loosens up a little bit, and so it makes it easier for patients to eat you know, more normal foods. Um, initially, after surgery, with the swelling and with a little bit of the tightness created by the fresh connection, um, it really restricts what they eat. And a lot of people have a difficult time eating some very tough meats. A lot of starches, like breads, might get stuck. Um, and very rough, fibrous vegetables sometimes have a hard time um, going down. After about a year, most patients can eat anything they want. And sometimes it's because they they develop techniques and tricks around it. Sometimes, for example, flushing things through with more water, we, which we try to have them avoid. But there are ways around, you know, around the restrictive component of the stomach, which is why, again, it's never foolproof. Now, gastric surgery, like you're talking about, where you're creating a different size for the stomach, that's different than gastric banding. Yes. And banding has been a whole different procedure that people have considered doing. It can also be done laparoscopically or even endoscopically. Mm -hmm. What's the difference between gastric banding Mm -hmm. and gastric bypass? So the gastric bypass was pioneered here in the United States and has been around, gosh, since the 1950s in some form or other And over time, we've refined it to the techniques we have today. The gastric band was pioneered in Europe and was sort of their preferred um, mode of weight loss surgery. Um, About 10 years ago, the two procedures, you know, flipped sides. And we started banding people here. And what the band is is basically a silicone device that's placed at the top of the stomach. And on this device is a balloon that over time is filled with saline and the balloon is made then to tighten itself around the stomach. So you basically create an hourglass. Like an hourglass where sand trickles through that little cinch, um, food will trickle through. So you eat something, the band will restrict it from passing all the way through the stomach and will allow it to only slowly pass through. When food hits the portion of the stomach above the band, there's going to be a stretch. So you eat a small bite, you're going to have this massive stretch that's then going to send signals to the brain saying, you're full. So you're basically faking the brain out to think that you've had a big meal. And over time, you have to adjust this band by, again, filling the inner balloon with more and more saline to create more and more tightness. And so 
the ban works for an individual who is on the lighter side of obese, who doesn't have a lot of the illnesses um, such as diabetes that they want to resolve, and it tends to work best in someone who's younger and who's very active. Still, the overall weight loss you would get from the band is not great. It's not as much as, as you would with one of the bypass procedures. And recently, when you take a look at results from the, the U.S. experience, we're seeing more and more patients with complications. And as a result, the band is sort of losing favor. And so I always tell patients that if you still desire to have the band, we have to really see if you're a good candidate. And to me, the candidates that are the best for the band, it's a very, very small group of people. What are some of the complications that you mentioned? Um, first of all, you have what, what's called slippage, where the band, again, is supposed to be at the top of the stomach. It it could shift. It could go anywhere. It moves. From, sure. It moves, yeah. And so actually, you know, I haven't put in a band in the last couple of years, but I've taken a bunch out, you know, from bands that have just slipped. And it's sort of like a hula hoop going, you know, down to the feet. It's gone away from the hip area, but gone down to the feet and has to be taken out because it's causing a major blockage. Um, there is a port. The port is the part of the device that's sort of buried under the skin where you put a needle and you inject the saline. That port can flip. Um, you can also have infections. The band can also erode into the stomach. Um, so, so lots of complications. A lot of complications, yeah. Okay. And then what about, you know, we talked about the band maybe not being the most preferred because of some of the issues, mm -hmm. although for that select population. Mm -hmm. What are some of the complications of people who have the bypass surgery? Good question. So early complications include things related to surgery. Of course, anytime you have surgery, you're always um, at risk for certain complications like clots forming in the legs, the clots going into the lungs, and what's called the pulmonary embolism. We have to try and prevent that, again, with you know, early ambulation or early walking, um, squeezer boots um, to help your circulation improve, and you know, giving people heparin or blood thinners during the time of surgery. Um, you can have, of course, bleeding. Um, you can have leaks where the connections just don't heal right, and these leaks have spillage of what's supposed to be inside of your intestines coming out into the body. Um, the chance of these um, problems happening are very, very low making the surgery very safe. In the long term, you can have um, malnutrition. If you're not eating right or following with your program and your program's not monitoring you, you can certainly um, become malnourished. You can um, become malnourished in some of the key vitamins um, that we all need to survive. You can become anemic because your iron is not being absorbed um, in appropriate quantities. You can have very low calcium, causing your bones to become brittle. Um, you can have strictures where the connections scar down so much that nothing can pass them, causing you know a blockage. So there are a lot of complications that can happen as well, which is why anytime you have a bariatric operation, you have to make sure that you have a team that's going to help watch you and monitor you basically for the rest of your life. If done well, this is a great operation, and the benefits are countless. You know, oftentimes the benefits outweigh the risks for most people. But again, it has to be done in a program that's going to be there to monitor you for life. And when you talk about for life, you mean that if somebody's had a procedure, your program will continue to monitor them for one, two, five, even 10 years. Exactly. Exactly. We, we ask our patients to at least team up with us 
to be part of this treatment team for at least five years. Um, during that time, we stay in close contact with their primary care provider so they understand all of the ins and outs of what's, what's been going on with their patients. But we always encourage our patients to still stay with us and at least have annual visits with us. And we certainly have people who had surgery when the program first started in 2004 still coming back and, you know, um, touching bases with us and letting us know what's happening with them. Well, it also gives you guys a chance to really do longitudinal follow-up yes. to see how people have done over the course of, you know, not just one or two years, but in this case, even up to a decade. All yes. right. We've got a caller on the line. We have Marsha calling in from Maui. Marsha, welcome to The Body Show. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling us. What can we do for you today? Well, I just wanted to um, put in a, a little plug for other ways, you know, alternative ways besides surgery. About six years ago, I was scheduled for bariatric surgery, and I'm, I connected instead with a, a 12-step program uh, and released over 100 pounds and seven shots a day of insulin and have maintained a close to uh, ideal body weight for about four years. And, uh, Congratulations. And I just, just want to let people know that, you know, even at hopeless, <laughs> hopeless 180 pounds overweight, um, that surgery is truly an option for some people, but there are other options. Absolutely. And I encourage people to look into other options as well. Well, you know, Marcia, one of the interesting things is that for all of the surgical weight loss programs that are here on Oahu, and I'm not quite sure about Maui. But the interesting thing is that all of them require that you actually look at and or show some effort towards some of the non-surgical weight loss issues. Like you mentioned. Now, I I think it's interesting. You said you found a 12-step program. And what you mean by that is not the traditional 12-step that some people may think of, but this was 12 steps really to focus on weight loss. Well, yeah, it's it's still it's a twelve step program based on the Alcoholics Anonymous model of a spiritual program, and, and so it uses those. Sure, yeah. it uses those models to actually say, "Hey, you know what? You don't have to be an alcoholic. You don't have to be, you know, in Narcotics Anonymous. You can use some of the same principles to focus on weight loss." And so, exactly, you found that to be enormously helpful for you, and it sounds like you were extremely successful. Well, I've been, you know, one day at a time, extremely successful in this particular uh, area of my life, and I, it's changed my entire life, to be absolutely honest, because that's what a spiritual program does. Not every, a spiritual program isn't for everybody, um, but there are, in addition to 12-step programs, there are other um, alternative weight loss possibilities, and I, it sounds to me like the people at Queens know that. But I haven't really heard that that much at your, on your program so far. So I'm hoping that you will address that as well. Well, it's a great point, Marcia, and I appreciate you bringing it up. And it certainly is part of the comprehensive weight loss program at Queens. And I know Polly Momi does something similar. And also, I know Castle does does the same thing. So, you know, when we come back, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Cedric Lorenzo. He's the director of the comprehensive weight management program at Queens. We're going to talk a little bit about what are some of the things, steps people can take today if they've decided that they've committed to weight loss. What can they do to to figure out 
exactly how committed that they are and what are some simple things we can all do today to find out, hey, what is our fitness level and should we be really looking at working on weight loss from a surgical, non-surgical, psychological aspect and really putting all those pieces together. So when we come back, we're going to talk more about it. You can join our conversation at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Make way for the Queen of Swing. That's jazz pianist Lenore Raphael in concert in Honolulu on January 17th. Accompanied by guitarist Doug McDonald, Raphael brings her own swinging arrangements of jazz standards and her original tunes for one night only to HBR's Atherton Studio. That's Saturday, January 17th at 7.30 p.m. Tickets at hprtickets.org or by calling 955-8821 during regular business hours. On the next Humankind, Daniel Goleman, former New York Times brain science correspondent, discusses the importance of having mental focus and how easily we can become distracted. Also, we consider the human capacity for resilience, which allows us to bounce back from challenges. I'm David Freudberg. Join us for Humankind. This evening at 6.30, following Marketplace. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Nohea Gallery and Kaiser Permanente. Aloha. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here with Dr. Cedric Lorenzo. He's the director of the Comprehensive Weight Management Program at Queens. And we've been talking about what does surgery entail? What is this process what are some of the risks? What are some of the benefits? And we had a wonderful caller, Marsha from Maui, who said, you know, not everybody needs to do surgery. And that's absolutely correct. So part of what we were talking about at the top of the hour is that there is an informational program about all the different various aspects of weight loss. And that's coming up Wednesday, January 28th at uh, the Queen's Conference Center. It's free, 5 to 7 o'clock. I'm sorry, 5.30 to 7 o'clock. And part of that is to incorporate a team that includes Dr. Lorenzo, but also includes a bariatric specialist who is an internist, uh, Dr. Linda Anigawa, and also a psychologist, uh, Ronnie Sato, and a lead dietitian, Connie Wang. And so it's sort of this comprehensive approach to kind of take a look at what are some of the challenges with weight loss? Because everybody struggles. Well, not everybody. Some people are lucky. But a lot of folks struggle with, you know, the New Year's and trying to come up with health things that they want to focus on, whether it be more exercise or watching their diet or losing weight or feeling healthier or being healthier. And so it's a team approach. And it's certainly something that it uh, it takes more than one person to be on that team. Now, Dr. Lorenzo, by the, you're the surgeon. So yes. by the time people see you, they've been through a lot of this process of the psychological evaluation, working with the bariatric uh, physician. There are some folks who never need you. Yes, and um, congratulations to Marsha for um, tremendous weight loss and the benefits she's had. And hopefully, you know, people on their journey to health will try to investigate other forms of weight loss before surgery. I should be the last person that they see. I mean, you're nice and all, but okay. <laughs> Thanks. I think patients need to understand that surgery is the last option. And oftentimes, the patients coming to have surgery are people whose health have been very negatively affected by diabetes, sleep apnea, and the like, and really surgery becomes one of their f 
last options and they're taking advantage of that. Um, up to then, you know, we ask patients to look at other options and patients should um, definitely work on diet, work on exercise, seek professional help from experts um, outside of surgery first. And certainly that's what we have at the Comprehensive Weight Management Program is a non-surgical arm. Because like you said, not everybody qualifies for surgery. Not everybody wants surgery. And the options in our program include um, meal replacement programs where there are specialized meal plans that um, we offer to patients to sort of kickstart their weight loss. And like I mentioned earlier, everybody can lose weight. And for most people, it's pretty easy. We've done that before, again, with the prom and whatnot, that brief period that we wanted to... Yeah, we were to... teenagers then, Cedric. <laughs> That's true. We but were you know. teenagers. <laughs> we're a little older now. But I understand what you're saying. It's not losing the weight. It's sustaining the it's weight. It's sustaining the weight. And again, the part, the, the program that we have, our main goal is to help you sustain that, either through further counseling, education, um, other treatments available, which may include um, some new FDA-approved medications. So there's a whole slew of options out there outside of surgery. And I think that's an important point that Marsha brought up. And also, you know, we've talked about earlier in the show, which is there's a lot of options for folks mm -hmm. that once you decide it's a priority or someone decides for you or fate gives you the triple threat that I talked to people about, the diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol combo, mm -hmm. which is sort of not the combination that you want to have as it's such a high risk for heart disease and heart attacks and strokes. You know, at some point, you may get to the point where despite all the activity and exercise you do, your numbers keep going up. Yes. Your sugars go up. Your cholesterol goes up. And, you know, sleep apnea is something that we have to, we're going to have to talk about that on the show again soon because that's one of those hidden things that if you fix the apnea, very often you'll see the metabolism get better, sugars will go down, blood pressure will go down, cholesterol will go down, energy will go up. You'll see all these beneficial effects yes. by just treating the apnea. Yes. And so we'll have to have that on the show sometime in the near future. In this case, treating the weight is mm -hmm. improving the joints, improving arthritis, improving activity, improving energy, getting people out there and moving. Yes. Now, I want you to tell me about some of your success stories. Are there people who, they can remain nameless, but are there people that you can think of in mind that have really done well that just sort of just stick out in your head as, boy, this person came in and this is how well they've done through this comprehensive program? I have many patients over the last um, seven years who have come in with diabetes, many of them injecting themselves, you know, multiple times a day. One gentleman comes to mind who, you know, got to a point where he realized that if he didn't do something about his diabetes, um, he wouldn't be able to see his grandkids grow up. And he was injecting himself like 11 times a day. That's a lot That's of injections. Lot. And after weight loss surgery, um, was able to basically get off of all of his medications except, I think, still just on metformin as a precaution from his PCP. But when you take a look at his activity, it's amazing. He's stand-up paddling. He's running the Aloha Run with us every year for the past three years. I'm not sure if he's done a marathon yet. Um, but speak of the marathon, we have patients who now do marathons as a result of their weight loss. Um, we have patients who may not have had the health issues a lot of our patients deal with, but in college re f realized that they weren't living 
life to its fullest potential for, you know, they weren't getting what they wanted out of life. And by losing weight, they're now, you know, out there um, with a newfound confidence, jumping out of planes. Um, I don't think I'd recommend that, but <laughs> I understand thrill seekers. They yes. like to do it. I, I'd be a wimp. I'd be afraid. <laughs> so I got you. Okay. So it's interesting because it's almost like, okay, so if you set your goal to have a healthy lifestyle mm-hmm. where you're exercising, you have enough energy to enjoy the activities that you like to do, you're eating healthy, and you're medically healthy. Mm-hmm. Blood pressure is good. Sugar is good. Cholesterol is good. It doesn't really matter how you got to that goal. Yes. As long as you got there. Yes. I mean, it's kind of hard to use this example here because we have just a couple of roads. Mm-hmm. But I always say to people, you know, okay, so I'm at I'm at Warden King. I'm at Straub. Mm-hmm. And I'll say to them, if I told you to meet me at Alamoana Center for lunch, mm-hmm. you could go down King Street and then head down Kamuku. You mm-hmm. could go down Ward, pick up with Nimitz. You could go Kapilani, whatever you wanted. Yep. As long as you got to Alamoana. So use that as a model. If your goal is a healthier lifestyle, you could do this through meal replacement. Okay, shakes and stuff. You could do this through exercise. Mm-hmm. You could do this through surgery. You could do this through diet. Some of those roads may have traffic jams, Mm -hmm. and it might take you longer than others. But eventually, if you set your goal, you can get to that same place. And what road you took doesn't matter. You're absolutely right. It's sort of um, whatever road it takes to sort of help you reset things. Um, Oftentimes when people are dealing with obesity, when they take a look at their life, it's making poor food choices and not moving enough. And so that should be the ultimate goal is to eat a diet that sustains our health, sustains a healthy weight, and be active. Um, do the activities that will allow you to, number one, to maintain your health, your cardiovascular health, as well as maintain your overall muscle, bone, fitness. Um, but sometimes you need that jump start, and that's where the meal replacements, the medications, the surgery, the intense um, aerobic activity, whatever it takes to jumpstart it, get into it, and then at the same time work on the diet and the activity. Um, you got to find something that's sustainable that you can do on a daily basis. You know, many people aren't runners, but you can run for maybe, you know, a couple months, get the weight down, but then find an activity that you love, that you love doing, whether it be dance, Zumba, stand-up paddling, Make exercise fun. Make it enjoyable so that it's not seen as a chore. Well, and we're going to talk a little bit about exercise that's fun next week. We're Mm going to talk about all different forms of activity and and what can make fitness fun. Because Mm -hmm. unless you grew up and you're an athlete, fitness is often like, oh, okay, so I've got to go do this after all these other activities during the day. And so it becomes, like you mentioned, more of a chore than it is a joy. But there are ways to, to turn that around a bit. Yes. Now... With the folks who who are successful with surgery and have restarted their life, doing all these activities, doing all these things that they otherwise couldn't have done, I'm sure you hear them say, and, and I'm sure you even ask them, what's the biggest change that you've noticed in in their lives? What do you hear most often? It's oftentimes the simple stuff, the stuff that we take for granted, like being able to cross your legs, tie your shoes, being able to maintain your own hygiene, um, being able to shop at a regular store and pick clothes off the rack. It's the things that we take for granted or going on an airplane and not having to ask for an extender. And those are the things that 
for people who have normal weight can never fathom. And for our patients, these are the things that just bring joy to their lives, being able to feel that um, that they're, quote-unquote, normal again. And for many people, it's also being able to get back to their families, to be able to go on the hikes, go outdoors, get into that canoe, and just partake in the lives of their kids and not be the parent that sits down on the lawn chair during the soccer games, but the parent that's now running up and down the field, you know, as their kids, you know, kick the ball down the field. And the kids may not be that happy about it, but <laughs> yes. the parents are. Yeah. And it's amazing. It's amazing that these are the things that my patients, you know, um, never had the experience of, you know, until weight loss surgery came about or um, entering into a weight loss program. And it's interesting because you're right. They're the little things that you normally would not first thing come to your head. Yes. And yet these are the things that are milestones for Mm -hmm. a lot of folks. Very much so. You know, it's funny because we've had somebody on, we've had some other folks on talking about surgical options for weight loss. And I think there still is kind of a stigma. There's a little bit of a stigma where people say, but you're taking the easy road out. And yet, you know, in a lot of ways, I think it's a harder road than than people think. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a permanent road. I mean, it's a surgery that you can't reverse it. You can't change it once you've already done it. What do you say to folks who feel as though this is, quote, the easier route? Because, you know, in a lot of ways, I think to really focus and commit and do the exercise and the 5,000, 10,000 steps, it sounds a lot harder than people give people credit for. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I would like to say to those people is just to follow one of my patients for a day and see, you know, that it's not the easy road. Life is not hunky-dory. They still struggle like everybody else. They'll still deal with the same uh, motivation issues, food choice issues. Um, They'll deal with some of the side effects from surgery where if they eat too fast, drink too fast, you know, they're going to start heaving. So it's not the easy road. But in this day and age when there's so many options out there for people to get healthy and people have tried, some, for some people this is life-saving. And so people have to give patients who've taken this road credit that they've taken their life by the, you know, by the bootstraps. Grab and the bull by the horns. Grab the said, bull by the this. horns and, exactly. and did something to make their lives um, better. Well, and I think that whole element, you mentioned having a good support network, mm-hmm. and that's really part of the whole entire process. You know, it's not, it's a comprehensive weight loss program, which means, hey, let's talk about all your options. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what works best for you. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about your support network because, you know, it's often those supportive people that are the unsung heroes that are the ones that are saying, you know, yes, honey, you're going to go, you're going <laughs> to yes. go out and exercise for an hour and I'm going to cook dinner for the kids or I'll put them to bed, or I'll help Johnny with his homework, or whatever the case may be. It's that comprehensive support that is really required. You, you're not going to get very far unless you have that. I know, and th- thankfully for many of my patients, they have that spouse or significant other that is that um, rock, that pillar for them. Um, I'll have appointments where my patients won't give me any information, but I turn and I look to their spouses or significant others and they know everything. That's and where it all comes out. Exactly. Truth comes from the, the people tr- sitting in the chair. The truth comes out. Right. And they're the ones encouraging them, cooking them the meals that maintain their health. And so I always, you know, look in awe to, to them because they're the ones, like you said, that are the unsung heroes who 
are helping you know to care for their um, loved ones in that sense. The great thing about weight loss surgery, though, is that it also benefits the family. And you know there are stats out there that show if you know kids are raised by an obese parent versus two parents, there's a higher chance of them becoming obese themselves. And sometimes by the parent taking the step, the drastic step to have surgery or any type of weight loss intervention, they eventually become healthy and that the kids become healthy. You know, the parents are the ones buying the food in the home. The parents are the ones deciding what to do on this weekend. And when the parents are geared towards a a healthy lifestyle with healthy foods, healthy activities, the kids become healthy themselves. And I think that's where this all should hopefully lead to is a healthier society afterwards. Well, and that can only benefit everybody, really, with <laughs> lower health care costs, but also longevity and decreased numbers of people in hospitals, heart attacks and strokes, That's et cetera. Right. Now, you mentioned probably, I think, before we were on air, only about 1% of people who qualify for the surgery actually have it done. Where do you see this procedure or any procedure going in the next five years? I mean, we've seen in the last five or 10 years, we've gone from lapars- from open surgery to laparoscopic and now robotics as well being used during the surgery. Mm-hmm. Where do you see it going in the next five years? So in terms of surgical options, I think um, there's a lot out there now looking at things being done endoscopically where you take a camera that has multiple channels for instruments and passing it down the mouth into the stomach and operating from within. And so that's the potential future of any type of bariatric operation. Um, In terms of the use of bariatric surgery or weight loss surgery, it's going to be for what we call metabolic illnesses. Uh, Surgeons usually operate first and then study later. That's sort of been the trend with a lot of operations that were done, you know, eons ago. Similarly, bariatric surgery was first done merely for weight loss. And when people started delving into its effects, you realize that it has a very positive effect on diabetes and other similar illnesses where it's not just because we're making small pouches or bypassing the intestines, but we're actually causing hormonal changes in the body that, for the most part, tell the pancreas to work harder, work strong, um, be stronger, don't you know, kill off your cells so fast, and people people become better able to deal with their sugars. And because of that, you know, this is an operation that's being endorsed. The gastric bypass is being endorsed by some endocrine societies and even insurance companies as, like you said, a method of curing their diabetes. So I think the indications for this surgery are expanding in that realm. HMSA, which is one of the leading providers in the state, recognizing that has said if you are diabetic, have a body mass index of 30 and not the usual 35 or 40, they will cover bariatric surgery because of the overwhelming data out there supporting its efficacy on diabetes. Well, and it's the only way we know of so far that actually they've They've bantered back and forth with the term cure with mm-hmm. diabetes. Yes. I want to thank you, Dr. Lorenzo, for coming on the show today. Anybody interested in the New Year, New You conference, give a call to 691-7117. Our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozlovich. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week. We're going to talk about making fitness fun with exercise. We'll see you then. Mm-hmm.